Hi there, I'm Mariah Parsons, your host of Retention Chronicles. E-commerce brands are starting to shift their strategy to focus on retention and the customer experience. And so we've decided to reach out to top DTC brands and dive deeper into their tactics and challenges. But here's the thing, we love going on tangents. And so with our guests, you'll often find us talking about the latest trends as well as any and all things in the Shopify ecosystem. So go ahead and start that workout or go on that walk and tune in as we chat with the leading minds in the space. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our other episodes at gomalomo.com. Retention Chronicles, we are joined by Aaron Schwartz at Loop and Yao Inning, who is our CEO and co-founder here at Malomo. So Aaron, so great to have you on. You are the current president at Loop. We thought it would be great just to have you walk through your typical background, but yours has been pretty insane. So we're going to go into the weeds of it. Um, Can you kick us off kind of starting with uh, Yawa's informed me, Deloitte, kind of chat through your experience there and then work us all the way up to Loop. Softball question to get you started. By by insane, (laughs) you mean like you're pretty old. Uh, (laughs) So thank Thank you you for reading through that. Yep, that's exactly what I meant. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, background. Most importantly, grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, which is America's favorite city, as we all know. Mm -hmm. I thought, isn't it called the armpit of America? No, no, that's Michigan. So, Oh, uh, Oh, I'm surprised. (laughs) Wait, wait, we have to pause. I'm surprised you didn't say New Jersey because I'm from New Jersey and we get the armpit of New York a lot. So well, maybe it, this is a good this is a true. good relational factor for us. I actually love I love Cleveland. By the way, I love Cleveland. My sister lives there. I like the flexibility to pump my own gas, which is why I don't like New Jersey. Mm, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a toughie. <laughs> I did succumb to the stereotype on that too. I did not know how to pump gas until I was seventeen. Yeah. No, uh, no right. yeah, and I was stuck in Delaware, and a stranger had to help me because my family wasn't picking up when I was calling them. <laughs> I pulled up to the gas pump actually. And I, because I was road tripping down to see one of my college friends to, in Delaware. And so I was road tripping, pulled into the gas pump, freaked out and pulled back out into like a parking <laughs> spot lot, like a parking spot. And this old guy, like he must've been like 80 years old, saw me do it. And he was like, I see your license plate. You don't know how to pump your gas. Like, no. That is so good. <laughs> and I was in my car, like calling all of my family members and no one was picking up. So yeah it was it was quite humbling <laughs> oh usually now that it's got on tape it's going to be uh, yeah this one could get me in trouble maybe a year and a half ago four years after we've had our car uh-huh. my wife was called me and she's like hey where how do i how do i open the gas tank and i was like <laughs> super confused here have you literally not pumped gas in the two and a half years and the answer is she hasn't so anyway that's <laughs> really funny smart, all the things so um yeah uh, I'm glad I'm glad someone relates just a little bit yeah just a bit (laughs) yeah uh I don't even know okay so Cleveland it's great um (laughs) and then uh school school in New York and yes I was at Deloitte I spent two years in New York and uh normally go to business school I didn't feel like I'd done enough so I like I I I felt like I still like more to get there and more to learn certainly and so I ended up having an opportunity to transfer to the London office and so I ended up spending Mm. two years in London Wow. It was awesome. Uh, awesome, Yeah, yeah, I loved it. And then um, got into business school at Berkeley and moved out west for that. And so 
did a two-year like full-time MBA, which was wonderful. Uh, and, you know, like growing up, I think in retrospect, we actually do a lot of entrepreneurs. I didn't like think of them that way. Um, but like, you know, I always thought about startups as you like make enough money, you get a subway franchise, you spit out some cash, you get a second one, maybe you get a, a laundromat, whatever. You know, a like third that. if you're lucky. Yeah, that's right. And like you, you grow that way. And then, you know, like got into Berkeley and was like, oh, high tech entrepreneurship. What does this mean? And so I started three companies. One was not even going to talk about it. it was a sustainability business, like too many good ideas, zero execution. And then the second one was kind of the opposite of high tech, where I started a watch company in 2010. And so that's kind of what brought me into the consumer space. Um, business was called Modify Watches. Uh, we grew very quickly. It was meant to be a three-month project after business school to be like, okay, cool. All the mistakes I made from my first startup during school, it's like, great, let me go start a business as quickly as possible. Um, so I, I, I had the, the pleasure of taking a class from Steve Blank and Eric Rees. So like customer discovery, uh, lean startup movement, yet like it was this wonderful class, which was perfect because I was like, oh my God, I've done everything wrong. And so I started started a watch company, which was meant to be three months. And then it turned into seven years. Time out. Yeah. And like why watches? Like my, my, buddy, my buddy was like, hey, I was traveling in Southeast Asia and I saw these products and everybody seems to like them. You want to sell them? And I was like, let's do this. And like, that was uh, it. It was, it was, I was like April of our second year in B school. We were, I remember like we whiteboarded in the library. And like there was a section where I saw this picture. It was like things we don't know. It's like how to source watches, legal, like literally we knew nothing about this. It was like, let's see if we can sell watches. And I, you know, I think we started like our whiteboard session was April. I think our first sale was July 9th. I'm 90% sure it was July It's a good 9th. memory. It's a wow. Mike Ross yeah. to like a kid I grew up with or like one of my best friends, older brothers. And, uh, and then what like, year, what year 20, was 2010, 2010, 2010. Yeah. And then we, uh, grew that business very quickly and we grew, um, by doing corporate sales. So we sold watches to like thousands of watches to Google, Facebook for their seventh mm. anniversary. Like every employee got like 2,500 people or whatever oh. got a, a watch. One of the, one of the dads who's in our school was like in the Seattle, like now with our kids was in the Seattle office of Facebook. So he never got a watch. And so like, I still have a couple of my garage. So I just gave him a watch a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Um, anyway, wonderful experience that ran its course. And in like 2017, like I stepped away from full-time operating. We sold a couple guys who were working. Um, we ended up selling the business in 2019 to custom ink. It was like, you know, print on demand. And, um, and then in 2017, I actually ended up switching from the brand side into the commerce tech, the commerce infrastructure side and co-founded a company called Passport, which does international shipping for DTC. Um, yeah. And that company is still going very, very well. And stepped aside from there in 2019. It was like 10 years of being a founder. We'd had our second daughter. It was like, it was time. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. I've now worked, I worked at Returnly for a year, which was a great experience. And then I actually took a year off, which was my intent after Passport to begin with. Um, and was an advisor, an investor um, in a bunch of companies, like very, very proud of being an advisor to Malomo. Um, I don't think I had any cash to be an investor. I would have, I would have done that at the time. And Your then, money's uh, no good with us. Right, no good here. And then, uh, man, one of my advisees was Loop, and I joined Loop full time a little bit more than a year ago. So in, yeah. in August of 2021. So okay, so um, I want to unpack this a little bit. Yeah. 2010. How old were you? You were like probably 50 then. Back in 2010, the worst. I'm a millennial, which is my favorite thing to talk about with all, with all of our with all the with all the youngins at the office. Where they like, yeah. soul guy. I'm like, we're in the same generation, friend. Uh, <laughs> so I was I was 28 when I started Modify. 
Okay. All right. Uh, I'm just, I'm just getting around. Uh, I turned 40 this year. Yeah. Thank you. You did? you did. I made it. I made it. Wow. <laughs> you, so you missed all the 40 under 40 lists. You're, right. you're this close. That's right. Uh, but wise many years. Um, okay. So modify, like what is, what is, what was the watch? Like why, why would custom ink even want this? I'm curious. Yeah. Oh, this is going to be great. It's like custom ink is print on demand, right? Yeah. I was going to ask the same question. I was like, I need the connection yeah. there. Can you see this? Sorry. I turned off my cell. Yeah. Oh yeah. You see what it is? It's a watch. Yeah. Let's yeah. Click on there, there's a baby on my chest. For, the, for, the, for those listeners who can't see. Oh, I don't know if there's a video. I didn't realize how this works. There is a watch and it is print on demand. So that's a picture of my younger daughter on my chest giving my wife the middle finger. Oh, I love that. So I love the watch that. company started, it was interchangeable watches. So the watch face and the watch band were separate. And the idea wasn't like, oh, I'm a watch. I like hadn't worn watches. I wasn't like passionate about it, but it was the ability to do customization. So if you think about like, modular components if you own three watches like a blue a green and a black you know nine watches because the blue watch face could go with the black strap and the green could go with the blue and whatever and so it started as like the original name was swap watch it's like interchangeable like you could swap it in and out and the thing that we were testing from the beginning wasn't like do people love the watches or do the watches work are they like the best watches in the world it was will people buy three pieces or more because if what you were doing was buying a single watch then we were competing with swatch or we're competing with like real watch companies. But if Yao, you were to buy like the blue face and then like a black strap and a green polka dot strap, the intent is obviously like you're mixing and matching. And then like we felt we were on a sign completely different. So it was like getting into the customization world. Yeah. Right. And then what we yeah. moved towards was like not just color blocking, but also print on demand. So we had people who did like photos of kids or houses or dog, like whatever was, you know, their passion. We did sports licensing, so we had the NBA, Major League Baseball. We did NFL through a partner. It's like all the way, like we, um, Live Nation, Dead Mouse was one of our first licenses. Domo, yeah. like a character, like random stuff. Yeah. And then we started doing influencer work as well. So we Ooh. did, um, like, uh, I'm blanking on her last name, Catherine, somebody who was like one of the first, I'm like the ba early bachelor, bachelorette. Uh, like we, we start, like everything that you're seeing with like, influencer like we started doing that where like they would get 20 or 30 percent of the revenue and like we would print it all on demand when things would sell and then we did corporate gifting too so we did nike watches and google watches and facebook watches and god knows what other like hundreds yeah. of brands. beach body like you you name it we did custom swag for them which was awesome but it was a mistake because we had like if you think about everything i just said it was like five different type five different personas that we were selling to five different sales channels it, yes. like the business was just very complex and it, it it was all from like operationally it was simple because we built it so like everything was like literally made on demand so you're sitting on blank canvas cool we can do anything but from a like go to market perspective we created just too much complexity like i should have cut four of the channels and focused on one maybe yeah after that many years yeah yeah that's fascinating were you so like when was that print on demand happening in the US? Like, were you like actually manufacturing and yeah. so, these things together? Or, yeah. Okay. So the first year was buying watches that were made overseas, which like, sorry, the first like three months, the MVP where I didn't care if the watch worked was literally like, what is your buying behavior? We bought like garbage watches, just like literally whatever we could find on Alibaba. <laughs> then yeah. I found a factory and we started doing production runs, but our minimum order quantity is like 300. But if you think about the cost of goods, it's like five bucks a watch or something. So it's like $1,500, but I would need like 300 blue watches and 300 black watches, 300 whatever. Oh. 
Yeah. And then we got to a point where in 2013, we did a Kickstarter, which finished in 2014, and we moved to print on demand in the US. So in San Francisco, it's like we were part of SF Made. And like we basically had a factory in San Francisco, which sounds crazy, where we would import all the components that were made custom for us. Batteries weren't made custom for us. Uh, like watch movement was like a good Japanese movement. Like the components were good, but then, you know, we built our own casing and our own back and our own whatever, right? The straps were our proprietary design. Um, like if you see that like Apple, like everything about like modular straps, like that, that was effectively what we were doing. Um, but then we got like a really dope laser printer and we built it so that like you could print like 40 watch faces at a time type of thing or hundred watch faces, I think for one of our bigger printers. Yeah. And yeah. So I'm like, um, my co-founder Ashil is like an incredible creative director. So like he would do just insane designs and we built an awesome design staff which is cool to see them all go to different places i'm like you guys yeah. have a much better situation <laughs> than what you were with us um but yeah that was that for getting into like the influencer space i feel yeah. like earlier than most was there ever any like question mark from like other people that like mentors or other people that you're talking about like this um like kind of that channel too? Because I feel I, like I, now you say influencers and there's still like a little bit of like, hmm, is it really like a true channel? But that yeah, was even before. I haven't thought about this stuff in years, um, but I'm lighting up because it's very fun. So <laughs> we stumbled into it. And, you know, if you believed at the time that sports licensing made sense because there was affinity and like growing up, I, I spent a summer working for NBNA America, which is a company that did all the affinity credit cards. So if you ever bought like a university of X credit card, the company that would power that or a, like, I mean, I'm sure they did like Hello Kitty, like literally yeah. any affinity credit card was from this company. And so I've always thought about that as like an interesting thing, which is like people have affinity and they will buy products or being that are like tied to their community or to their passion. And so the spirit of modify was like our tagline was show your colors. And so mm -hmm. like, if you want to enable people to wear things that they care about, then you need to like go find the things that they care about. And so we, we started working with nonprofits. Right. We start with the big licenses and then we kind of stumbled into, oh, wait, there are micro influencers. Right. Like we we talked about it that way, that you have these like really small affinity groups. And if you think about like a D2C brand today, what you ultimately want is you're talking to a narrow audience and then like Yao wears something and his buddies are like, hey, that looks cool. And like he's an influencer on like the like really, really, really local level. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I think people saw it and they got it. And we actually like were able to raise some money when we switched to that model um the thing that i screwed up on is we had very high sell through of our early influencers and then what i tried to do is game it where and it wasn't like intentionally trying to game it but i was like the metric i care about is having more influencers it wasn't more high quality influencers and high quality not defined by like my taste or your taste right but high quality is defined by people were buying this product mm -hmm. and so we spent a lot of time onboarding more and more and more people not time onboarding the right people and making sure that we were like honing the model. And so that's where we went sideways is we took out all this fixed cost of doing the onboarding and the sales and the partnership work instead of being like, Hey, maybe we just need 50 this month, not 500. Mm. Okay. okay. Yeah. Try to go I still think this it. is a huge business. I just like, I'm not the one to build it anymore. I was like, I've seen a lot of different aspects of what we were doing, like come to fruition in a massive way. And I'm like, as yeah, all, do you? In, yeah. insight doesn't matter. Like execution matters. And we like, you know, that, that was my feeling. Is customing still selling like these no, watches? I, or, like, what they know, do I, looked, I looked six months ago. I think I think they deprecated during COVID. I mean, it was a, it was a super small acquisition. I think it was like a nice to have product. Um, it wasn't 
you know, I don't think it was a, a core piece of the strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I still have a, maybe like a thousand in my garage. If you guys want any, let me know. Maluma watches. I, <laughs> I would one hundred percent take one. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That'd uh, be cool. Hundred yeah, percent. Like what? Okay, what made you? What made you like um, switch from that to launching Passport? Like, yeah. Uh, so. In 2017, I knew I wasn't going to be doing Modify full-time. And I took a step back and I started helping a bunch of buddies with their companies. Um, and it was, I, you know, hadn't been gainfully employed in almost a decade, if you think about it, right? Like I left Deloitte in 2007 and while well, I've been running my own business and like we did a lot of stuff, I didn't, like, I didn't know what a product manager was. I didn't really know what being in BD was. I didn't, like, I didn't know any of this stuff. Like I remember interviewing with like, a very senior business development person at Facebook. And like literally 20 minutes in the call, he goes, you, this isn't going to work. Like you don't even know what this term means. And I was like, well, now that you explain the term, I like have done that thing, but I, correct. I have no idea what that term means. And I, by the way, I think he was right not to even like consider pushing me forward because like the bar should be extremely high, but it was like, I truly didn't know what to do. And so I um, wanted to just go broad. And so I spent time with half a dozen different founders. Uh, one who was doing an aircraft like a um, like basically like a private airplane company who's just like a brilliant guy and I was like this is not something I'm passionate about but like interesting and I was helping him with like customer service messaging and how to like communicate and how to um, think about like business strategy one of my friends um, runs the company Boba Guys which I don't know if you see him as like a killer bubble tea company it's like the kind of like the new wave of bubble tea like all sprouts from what these guys built yeah. and he was my year in business school and so I spent like four months helping them a couple days a week. Like this is all unpaid. It was just like, let me spend time with you guys and, and explore. And then um, um, Alex, who's a, the Passport CEO and my co-founder um, had an idea around something to do with shipping. And there was like some loophole and he was like, hey, I think there's something here. Anyway, that loophole ended up not really existing, but we spent a bunch of time together. And like the insight um, that I think we got to was like Modify had 20% of our traffic was international, but 5% of our revenue was international. Does that make sense? So like yeah. there was a disconnect between like we had money, like there's latent demand for the product, but people aren't buying it. And maybe part of it is like, it's a different shopper, so they wouldn't buy it. But the reality is like they weren't buying it because shipping is a pain in the butt. And you, if you live internationally, you don't know if you're going to get the product or not. Do you know what I mean? Like you're, you don't know yeah. if it's going to show up or if it's going to get stuck in customs. If you're going to get hit with a fee, it was just like a very bad experience. And so you have to really trust a brand to do that. And so that was the genesis of a passport was how do we build a shipping company that is like extremely high touch customer service and removes anxiety. So it's like, frankly, a big piece of it was tracking, right? Which I know is music yeah. curious, but it was like, you live in Canada, you, it's going to, it's not going to be there in two to four days. It's going to be there in four to eight days. And you don't know if you're going to get hit with a fee. What if we were to give you actual visibility into where your package is, tell you exactly what your fee is going to be, and just like, God forbid something goes wrong, you have somebody you can contact and say, what the heck is going on? And so the experience before Passport was you would contact the brand and the brand would be like, I don't I don't know what's going on. Call Canada Post. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you work with us, we solve the problem for you, right? And yeah. so like, if you're a shopper, it's easier. If you're a brand, you no longer have the headache of customer service. So that was kind of the insight behind Passport and the company is growing like a weed, which is cool to see. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, and like, what, what, is there anything around that, like about around international shipping that like makes it like uniquely hard or complex? Yeah, I mean, if you think about 
Um, so think about you ship from your 3PL, you're a brand owner and you ship to somebody in Canada. Let's just keep it simple. And you use FedEx or DHL. There is a reasonable chance that it never touches a, a FedEx truck. It mm -hmm. might be picked up by a USPS truck because it's like a USPS workshop and then deposited. And then it might get handed over to Canada Post. And then it might get handed over to a local last mile delivery company. So you're paying FedEx or DHL, whatever in that example, but FedEx is never actually touching their product, right? They're coordinating somebody else doing it. And so if you think about like, logistics is easy if it's like walking to your neighbor, right? When you start adding legs or different consolidation points and it's further, so there's different weather patterns, like everything is just more complex because first of all, you do not own the whole chain. So you're at the whim of somebody else. And even if you're a big partner, you don't know what's going on at that. Like, you know, I mean, like a couple of years ago, one of our partners had like tornado in Tennessee and their warehouse was down. It's like, everybody was okay. Do you know what I mean? Like after you yes, get through like, yeah. the business, the human side, all of that, then it's also like, okay, cool. But we have no control over what happens with, with those packages. It's going to take an extra week. You can't like go pick it up and go solve that problem, right? It's already yeah. in their system. And yeah. so I think just like globally is painful because the logistics, you you can't own assets everywhere. So therefore it's yeah. almost better to own no assets or like yeah. own assets are like the crucial points. And then getting information from different people's systems is hard, right? Because in that example, it's like USPS heading off to Canada Post, heading off to the last mile or your 3PL heading off to USPS, heading off to Canada, right? So it's like there's visibility concerns. And then there's like different tax regimes where this country, you pay X percent if the product's provenance was in Pakistan. It's different than if it was in China. It's different than if it was made in Mexico or whatever. So it's just like all the complexity in one. Yeah. And you're shipping something that's this big. Like, you know, <laughs> still got to get there. And people are like, well, it needs to be here in seven days. It's like, well, <laughs> it's probably a pretty hard challenge. So I think that's it. And it's like the things to do are like, obviously choose good partners, get good visibility, staff up with customer service and like, get really good at pattern recognition. Like theoretically, mm -hmm. every package in the into Berlin is stuck stuck in customs in, for three days. Tell your customer, hey, don't worry, it's going to be there in three days. It's in customs. This is normal versus don't give them any information. And each day they check in the system and it says held in customs, held in customs. Like that creates anxiety. That creates a customer service ticket. Get away from that. Yeah. I think that's so, so two things, like as you're talking through that, that's sort of fascinating to me. And, and like, I didn't, I didn't really realize this or recognize this until we got deep into Momo. Like mm -hmm. the amount of packages that are um, um, maintained or delivered by not the people who you bought the, <laughs> the shipping <laughs> from. <laughs> like, I'm learning this is, in real time right now. I didn't yeah, even know that. <laughs> it is astounding the amount of care handoffs that happen. The other thing that's kind of interesting is like, like, to think about FedEx as a delivery company, it's like, oh, actually, a lot of times they're a broker. And like, they themselves are like working with a whole host of third parties. And then you start to think like, well, why are they doing that? And then, and then it, like, the other thing that was, was in my mind is like, it's amazing that anything makes it anywhere <laughs> through any delivery service. Uh -huh. Like, legitimately, billions of packages moving across the country in a very coordinated way. Uh -huh. Like, the fact that anything gets, like, it's anywhere crazy. is sort of nuts. Yeah, it's sort of nuts. Um, like, I think about, like, I it takes me an hour to drive in rush hour traffic. Like, if I'm driving something to somewhere, like, yeah. uh, it's just, yeah, it's just insane. Um yeah. So, uh, so 
you have an interesting perspective because you've been both a brand mm-hmm. operator and like been on the SaaS side of, of the of the ecosystem. Like, um, what do you think about the two roles? Like, is there anything about those two worlds that translates well? Like, if you if you if you moved back from being a SaaS operator to a brand operator, like anything that you've learned or picked up or like discovered translates back and forth. It's a good question. Um, so I'm trying to think about like the principles in which like I bring to our product team, for example. Um, uh, and I think this will dovetail with what I was saying before, but probably two main things. And I'll, I'll think if there's anything else. Um, the first one is like stakeholder intimacy and like customer discovery. So if you think about the first version of my watch company, like the watches went bad after three months. It sounds dumb, but like the goal, like the thing I was trying to learn was like buying behavior. And then I refunded everybody, right? It wasn't like trying to be a scam. I was like, hey, it's broken. Let me refund you and send you two more watches, right? Thank you. Like it wasn't, it wasn't anything other than like a a learning opportunity. Um, And then throughout the entire life of the company, we we wrote handwritten notes to all of our customers, like literally in every package. At the beginning, it was like paragraphs. And by the end, I was like, thank you so much. Something, something, right? Like it it was quick at the end. And then I would send an email to everybody too for the first year plus, which is like, hey, thanks so much. By the way, how'd you hear about us? Because like, and then someone'd be like, oh, yeah, I'll refer me. And I'd send, yeah, I'll text message or email, be like, hey, thanks for referring Jenny. And like the goal of all that was one to build community is a weird word, but like to build affinity, let's say for the brand and like, oh, this is a cool brand. And like there's actually a human behind it, or at some point it wasn't just me, it was like a team behind it. Um, like Michelle, who ran customer service, like would get letters. We have letters just like against more, more, you know, more than my random background, like on the wall in the office of like, Michelle, thank you so much. You saved my like, whatever. I mean, it was insane how like close we got to our customers. The big piece was getting customer feedback. So I always thought like, I want somebody on a scale of one to five to rate us a one or a five. I really did want a three. And so I figured the more that I would like make it easy for people to contact us by giving them a phone number, by sending them a personal email, the higher likelihood that I can remove friction for them to give us feedback to make the product better. If you think about that from a SaaS side, it should be the same thing. Like you shouldn't be thinking about the NPS of a customer. Like you don't think about the NPS of all birds if they're a customer of yours. You think about the NPS or like like how much does a customer, like does a human like or dislike you or what do they want better from the CFO, from the CTO, from the line level customer service person, from the operations manager, from the 3PL. Like think about all the personas within the company and go get their feedback. So I think like number one is stakeholder intimacy or customer intimacy, whatever you want to say, like build products that people want. Don't, you know, um, don't just like sit in your room and assume that you're coming up with the right idea. Um, so that's one. Mm-hmm. I think number two is just focus. <laughs> so like think about, again, the, the modify story. We, we found like four or five channels that were going well. We should have shut down three or four other channels, right? Like we just yeah, should have been focused. Yeah. And if you think about that yeah. with like, with loop and with product, one of the things we've talked about, like a mantra for the last six months has been building fewer, better products. So like we should be responsive. We should fix things, but we should also be listening to hundred merchants, getting their feedback and then building like a great product that solves like the underlying need, not just like kind of doing a lot of small stuff. Um, You still need to do the small stuff. You still need to remove bugs. That's not the point, but like build fewer, better things I think is, um, is, is, kind of just in general, like if you're spending 5% of your time on a part of your business, you probably should spend 0% of your time because better to put that all into like keeping the main thing, the main thing. I think mm-hmm. those are probably the two big ones. Yeah. I'll keep, I'll keep noodling on it. Yeah. 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 Um, 
Okay, so that was that was awesome. So two things I wanted to unpack a little bit there. So on the first one, when you when you mentioned like NPS, like you're focused on trying to drive people to a this I might have misheard misheard you, but like or you're focused on the scores that were like a one or a five, right? Or like you want that reaction. Basically, I want to get feedback. I want to get yeah. Sorry, that was probably a bad bad example. I want to get feedback. Think about this. Yeah. Like I want to get feedback. I want to lower the bar for people to give me feedback. So I put okay. out as many trial balloons tentacles as possible for people to like grab it. They could email, they could text, they could write. I would email them like they literally like on our packaging and had to contact us. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. our marketing yeah. wasn't just buy stuff. It was like, Hey, give us feedback. Like we had customers vote on what watch we should produce next at the beginning before it was print on demand where we had to build mm-hmm. 300. It was like, what should we build? And by the way, what should we name these watches? Yeah. Right. Like there was a black yeah. and gold one we called the golden eye. I mean, it was, it's dumb, but like, you know, our fans voted on like whatever it should be. And so it was more about getting in the feedback. Um, the thing that is bad is if people are like okay with the product and they're like quietly not engaged with it. And so I wanted to get all those people to tell me like, what could we do better to make that yeah. better for our four to five? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really important too. Like, yeah, focusing, focusing like your attention on like not the lukewarm people, but the uh-huh. people who are super, super passionate or the people who are super pissed off. <laughs> um, right. Cause like that, that's probably where all the insights lies in the yeah. polarization. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people will look at like the averages of your NPS score and be like, Oh, I'm just, I'm actually just a four and that's okay. Well, it's like, no, maybe the, not. The like, idea then be... ultimately was like move those lukewarm people into loving us and like make mm-hmm. it easier for them to tell us what it would take for them to enjoy it. So then did you focus on, did you more so focus on the threes versus the ones like um, trying to move the threes to fives and, or like, well, the ones I figured around. were going to be very loud. I feel like I'm mixing metaphors now. So this is probably a bad, I've probably like <laughs> set us down a bad path. The way I think about it is like the ones were going to be loud. Threes were yeah. going to be quiet. I wanted to make it easy for the threes to tell me. Like the ones were going to tell me, hey, I want a refund. I hate this. Fine. Have a refund. By the way, I've already not like, oh, here's what I could do. I like would send an email, which would say, I've already refunded you. And I've sent another one. I'm so sorry. Can you please tell me something? Right. Like, so I would try to learn from them. But the answer is like, yeah. trying, or, or I thought about like, we should be getting insights from everybody. Okay, mm. that's super powerful. Yeah, I love that. So yeah, go ahead, Mariah. Well, I was just going to ask, because it seems like there's a, a lot of different channels that you're offering for your customers to give that feedback mm-hmm. in, which I think is great. But was it kind of chaotic ever to like take all those different ways that channel that customers could contact you and then like aggregate it into one because you said we, like phone number like surveys emails. we had like uh you know we had a google voice number which was 619 which is like the san diego area code for whatever reason mm-hmm. that was what was available modify five and then we were like this is dumb nobody wants to pick up the phone <laughs> nor listen to voicemail so like we we finally deprecated that mm-hmm. um no i mean we used help scout which was years ago and i think it's still like a good tool uh just anything like consolidated all we didn't we didn't leverage like gorgeous or customer or resent like we, we were never at the scale to to really okay. Cool. Okay. Okay. Then the second thing you mentioned is focus. Like, yeah. uh, Um, I'm, I'm curious too on this because like, um, I think this is kind of interesting topic, especially right now. Mm -hmm. I feel like in the, in the ecosystem generally, right. Like merchants are, are looking to their tools to do more so they can have like one tool to rule them all versus like, (laughs) Uh, the merchants who like that, like that lays, like the, um, what's that? Uh, the Swiss Army knife, right? Yeah. It was super tactically good yeah. at this one thing. Um, I think now you're mixing metaphors, but I know what you're I saying. am too. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're <laughs> good. I, I, I follow what you're asking. 
that'll be the theme. The Swiss Army knife, yeah. The Swiss Army knife does the one thing, but also seven other things. <laughs> you got a corkscrew. Um, <laughs> oh man! Look, I mean, you, you and I, you and I have talked about this. I, I yeah. think, um, I think for most things, you probably just want a bundled solution, and like done is better than perfect. Make it really easy. I think there are a handful of things where like you want something great, and so um, I don't think that's the same for every brand. But if I if I'm building my brand right now, right, and I'm hyper focusing on what to do, I'm like making maybe half a dozen decisions where I'm like making very considered decisions and I'm not looking like I'm looking within my budget, but I'm not looking for cheap. I'm looking for like the best product I can afford. Does that make sense? And I, I think those are like certainly your platform. So you choose Shopify or maybe you look somewhere else, but like, I don't know any brand who's starting today who's not like defaulting there, right? You choose a help desk. If you're like, I think it's very good for you to be close to your customers. So again, let's talk, let's talk about if you get to like, 250k in top line like you start growing and like you have ambitions of building your brand right you, you choose a help desk so that's gorgeous could be zendesk could be customer could be gladly whatever right but like you do a considered purchase there you choose your 3pl your fulfillment stack whether it's like you use a great 3pl um you decide to do it yourself like you're at least very very thoughtful about that you choose your email marketing tool, maybe your text messaging tool but definitely like you're probably defaulting to Klaviyo but like there's OmniSend there there are others that like might be better or worse for you. You definitely choose your returns platform because like every one of your customers is going to look at your return policy, depending on your vertical, 30 plus percent are going to return a product. If you give them a bad experience, they're going to not come back. Even if you hit them with an incredible ad, if you give them a simple experience, even if they don't keep the product, you've paid to acquire those customers. You should be trying to drive them to exchange so that they don't leave, right? Like it is a big retention tool and you choose a tracking platform because that like both helps with retention and with customer service and with like what we talked about with passport, like obviating tickets because you give people good visibility, they will not email you and take three minutes of your team's time with saying that like, you can just help them not be stressed. There's marketing tools, there's review, like there are awesome reviews platforms like Junip, whatever, whatever. But I feel like that is like the beginning of the, the stack, right? When yeah, you're going. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so like, I would, I'd be very cautious about going to get like a family of apps type of product, which is like a B plus in each of those. Because like, I don't know, you want you, um, it's expensive to acquire a customer. So you want to retain them. It's expensive to serve a customer. So you want to do it in like the most efficient way possible. To Mariah, your, your question about all the different channels, you'll want to use something like a gorgeous because you not only want to like simplify your, your team's ability to support, but like support quickly mm -hmm. and also get all the analytics, which all these guys provide. And then like, as you start adding more and more features and stuff, sure, like start doing bundles, start going cheap, but um, I don't know. I, I don't, I, I I would never advise somebody to just go like choose an app that like quote unquote does it all. Cause like going back to focus, you're probably not getting something that's purpose built for that problem. You're getting something that's like engineered to make more money, <laughs> right? Mm, yeah. Like you do good enough that like, you're not going to churn, but are they really pushing like there, there are, there's always a conflict on what problem they're solving, which means they're unlikely, not impossible, but unlikely to be solving the like most impactful problem within that kind of space. Mm. That's super interesting. So whatever else you guys are thinking about cooking up, don't just keep <laughs> Like we were thinking about going into fulfillment. So. Uh, I've got a, I've got a vision that we're going to go into. I don't know. Metaphors. Yeah, metaphors. And mixing they, them. They escape me. They escape me. 
Okay, that's that's super helpful. I think yeah. I think that's a good way and like mental model to think about things. Like there's there's core parts of your customer experience that are incredibly important. You likely want those core parts to be like best in breed for those yeah. things. Um, I mean, look at the growth of like Clavio. Look at the growth yeah. of Gorgeous. Look at the growth of yeah. Global E. Look at Passport's growth. Like Yapo, even right. Eventually, they had bought some other companies, but like, look at Loop. We do returns on Shopify in a handful of markets. Yeah, like it's an extraordinarily fast-growing company that raised like a monster Series B last year and has Shopify as an investor, along with like yeah. Series, you know, like you can if you are focused and you're solving a big problem and you solve it better than others, you will grow. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think the flip side is like if you are a brand and you are choosing who to work with again within your budget choose the people who will actually like be most committed to helping you solve that problem because like if you know a problem don't pay anybody but if it's like a core part of building your business and you care about like customer acquisition and customer happiness and customer retention like choose good partners who are who are like invested in something that i i love that you uh, that you specifically say choose choose the right people that are going to help you solve that that yeah. problem yeah i think i think uh like what Shopify um, was very good at, and I think it helped spur the ecosystem was like bolting in apps that were simple to work with because most brand operators are not technologists, right? They yeah. want they want simple tools that they can execute, yeah. um, which caused this explosion of these apps. And then then you reach this point where you're getting very sophisticated and you're like, I can't, I myself can't use 30 tools. And like, I, I need a partner to help me. That's right. Get the most out of this yeah it was also that. good like i always looked at it when shopify would build something basic for the masses it was much easier to then be a good provider because now somebody's already educated the market that you should care about this problem mm, yeah that makes sense. yeah it was like yep. with passport it was much easier to convert somebody who's who had already chosen dhl and fedex because it's like well, we're better than them at these things yeah but you've already opted into doing international shipping does that make sense like i'm mm -hmm. going to educate you on Turns yeah. out there's a big world. There's like a higher launching pad to start from. That's exactly yeah. it. It's like, yeah. okay, somebody who's already like tried a base level tracking product is much more likely in my eyes to be able to convert to Malomo because it'll like actually understand all the value you're creating on top of just like, where's my package? That mm -hmm. a generic um, brand who's never even thought about this as a problem is like, yeah, our issue is people email us and say, where's our package? It's like, okay you'll see that there's like so much more you can do on like the new revenue side and on the retention side. Yeah. 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 And feeding into that awareness too, of if someone's already used a software to solve for say the like one issue, say order tracking and they mm -hmm. use a different software, then they're also aware of like problems or things that they weren't able to solve for using yeah. some of their platforms. So they go in like with that higher launch pad of knowing this is just, you know, what, what the best practices, what you should be yeah. aware of in the space, but they also know specifically to their issues that they're looking to solve what they need to do more yeah. a little bit. And Mariah, I think it's very helpful at that point for you to interview them and be like, what are all things you didn't like? Mm -hmm. Not to say we fix them all, but just to yeah. learn in here and like figure out, okay, cool. What are the things that we like, what, what else haven't we solved also? Right. And it helps you make yeah. your product better. Yeah, yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. yeah. So, Oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead, Mariah. Well, I was just going to ask another question, but if you have one relating to this, then... No, no, no. I was going to switch gears. Yeah, go ahead. Okay, okay, cool. So, well, I was going to say we're talking a lot about, and usually with retention, um, customer experience. I mean, that's that's mm -hmm. the, you know, bread and butter. And so you kind of alluded to it, Aaron, of, you know, if there are things that 
or like not you're not able to solve this problem or having issues around the customer experience have you been have you seen like anything that merchants are ignoring right now that is like not helping their long-term growth um it's a good question i mean i think the world's changed in the last year in a very mm -hmm. big way right so what do we fall fall 2022 um there used to be free money and it used mm -hmm. to be easy to acquire customers and this was before like apple att so like cost acquisition was reasonable and now it is not it is growing and growing and growing and like there also isn't free money and so therefore I think you're seeing a shift from like growth at all costs to prof like focusing on profitability, focusing on sustainable growth, right? And like building a sustainable business. Um, and I don't, I mean, obviously yes, on a green perspective, but like just from a well, viable business, right? Yeah. Um, can we do it ourselves? And so I think like retention is a massive piece of this. Um, I think if you think about like what builds like profit, it's both sides. One is top line and two is shrinking your bottom line. So like on the, on the shrinking your bottom line, you know, you want to work with partners who are going to help you like something that we spend a lot of time doing is like helping route packages through a more efficient means, helping you get products back on shelves quickly, helping you get products on the secondary sales channels, like arrive or recurate or treat or trove, right? Like, so that even if it can't be sold through your primary channel, right? Like you can still like capture some revenue from it um, mm -hmm. instead of letting it sit on a warehouse when it's returned. Um, and so like, there's a big focus there. There's a big focus on loss prevention, like um, not allowing bad shoppers to scam you. Most people are honest and will send back a good product. There are a handful who will, you know, send back something completely scuffed and get a full refund. And, you know, so like getting insights into, into like, you know, we know a lot about customers that our brands don't necessarily, or they can't, they like don't have the capacity to tie it all together. It's like, we help brands with that, right? So there's like the cost side on the retention side, like on the, okay, if you want to do sustainable growth, like how do you, how do you grow? Literally just think about the fact that you've paid to acquire a customer, 30% of your customers are going to return. You should be doing everything in your power to retain that shopper. Mm -hmm. right? Like we've spent 50 bucks from Mariah to buy our product. There, there are a couple of outcomes. There is, she returns it and we give her a really, really, really bad experience. Guess what? We make her jump through hoops. It's painful logistically. We charge her a $10 restocking fee. We charge her a $10 sh shipping fee, but we didn't tell her that this and like, the FAQ, so like she's surprised by this. Mm -hmm. that. It's only returned for store credit, but again, we weren't explicit about that upfront. As long as you're like clear, right? That's yeah. fine. But we, but we're bad. It doesn't matter how great our next collection is. There's no world in which Mariah's repurchasing. No. Alternatively, you, you <laughs> right? Like none of us, yeah. are, right? Like you return. It's like cool. We're sending a pickup to your home tomorrow. You don't even need to package it. Oh, by the way, we've already refunded your credit card. Something, something, something. You see an ad in six months. You're like, well, this was painless. Like. Sure, I'll try that brand again. It, it's cool, right? Mm -hmm. It's called the Mixed Metaphor T-shirt company. It's phenomenal, by the way. Um, okay, so uh, that that's that's like if you're returning and like there's nothing. A better outcome is you return and the brand goes, "Hey, no problem. Like this will all be seamless again. Like still a good experience. But oh, by the way, before you return, you should try this other product, mm -hmm. and we'll send it to you for free. Or oh, by the way, like here's some credit." If you want to buy the other product that's slightly more expensive, you can get it for you know the same money out of pocket for you. Like we'll we'll, mm -hmm. we'll do this and we'll retain you as a customer. Now you spent your fifty bucks with Instagram or whatever to like get the customer, and you're retaining her, and she's got a product that she loves, which means she's a micro influencer, right? Like she can walk around and people will see it. She can talk about it. She had a great experience on the return and like the logistics being a good experience is saying that people will still be like, wow, I had a really seamless experience. Like that is great. 
Right. And now you're talking about retaining, retaining, retaining. And so I think um, like, you know, depends on the brand, right? Like you might track a 90 day repurchase window, 180, 360. It doesn't matter. Like by retaining the human, even if she downgrades from a hundred dollar item to a $10 pair of socks, you're still retaining that shopper. And like, that is absolutely crucial now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. And you take away some of that like buyer's grief and like the worry of, oh, if I go back, like, is yeah. it going to, is it going to be stress-free in any way? You take away that. If that that's it. I mean, think about yeah. like, if you're trained that that's not the case, even if you're trained that like it's free returns, but um, it's going to be a pain in the butt to do an exchange or something. Mm -hmm. You then buy three products up front because you're like, I want to keep one. Now what you're doing is you're hurting the brand because they're doing free and now they're paying more for shipping and they have inventory out of stock for weeks or months that they can't get back in stock, which means they can't sell to somebody else. Like it behooves a brand to treat you so well that you're like, yeah, I'll just buy a single product. Hopefully it fits. If it doesn't fit, I know that I can get the next one three days later because like if the brand uses a loop, you get like an instant exchange, right? For example, um, you use Maloma. So you get like you have visibility on like the whole journey. So that there's no anxiety, like that stuff really matters. And again, like we don't need to talk about numbers. Just think about your own experience and be mm -hmm. like, okay, cool. I can go to two brands, each of which has like a cool pair of shoes. One has a $25 restocking fee. One doesn't have a restocking fee. Where am I going to shop? Yeah. One has like, it's a dead simple to do returns. I can drop it off, pick up at home, something else. One is like, you have to go to a FedEx store. Where are you going to shop? And like, we're all consumers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, th I think, I feel like the, the world has now been trained to, to like pay attention to the potential pitfalls of buying from a brand before they buy like in 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 i'm wondering if there's like even if you guys have any have seen any insider on this like the silent killer of like not having a transparent returns or exchange policy like what revenue did they actually lose by not having a policy that was like yeah. super seamless and easy sure or if you have a policy that's only returns for store credit you are yeah initially yeah. hurting your upfront conversion rate yeah that might yeah. that so, I mean, look, I think the biggest thing I would say is like, you know, Loop's vision is to empower the world's most loved brands to deliver their ideal post-purchase experiences. So like the the like the language in there is intentional, which is like empower. If you think about who we serve, we serve 1800 Shopify merchants. We serve like Allbirds, Kizik, like some of the biggest footwear brands. We serve some of the smallest brands, right? That you would have never heard of. We also serve Intimates brands and swimmer brands and right. And so like the idea that like we would tell them what their policy is, is, is crazy. Like everybody has, should have a different policy and like mm -hmm. every shopper within that brand should get a different experience. A VIP customer might get a different experience than a first time customer. And so like our job is to empower them to create the experience that they want, regardless of what experience they decide. If it is not transparent to a shopper, you can under promise and over deliver. But if there's anything like negative that isn't communicated, that is a huge risk to the brand. It then yeah. creates somebody tweeting like, can't trust these guys, something, something. And like, how detrimental is that? Yeah. 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 It's an interesting concept because I don't think I've necessarily thought about as a consumer, you look for the pitfalls first. Like it's never, it, but it, I've never consciously thought about it necessarily, but it is something I look for. It's like, oh, you are trying to make sure that online you're not going to be like scammed or anything, or you're not going to get a bad product. And so it comes with the connectivity of all of us now of social media and the internet yeah. and everything. And so now you can look for those pitfalls because odds are someone else fell for them and then you can find them. And so 
like you said, like on Twitter, it's like, oh, you can't you can't trust that person. And you might think like, oh, that's one person who thought that. But then reality is there are people who are looking for evidence to support if Mm -hmm. they should buy something or if they shouldn't. And people are never going to search for like Mm -hmm. all birds. You've listed them, right? Like you're never going to search for positive reviews. You're going to search for negative ones. And so like the more, or just like reviews in general. And so the more that you can, yeah, create that great experience and Mm -hmm. diminish any risk, then yeah, you're going to, you're going to have more success and more, um, happy buyers. Um, what, uh, so like you have worked it's funny, like from like you can tell from your days at Modify, spent a lot of time around how customers feel and think mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. you and the brand. Mm-hmm. Um, you then spent uh, your career kind of shifting to a couple companies, mm-hmm. Passport around shipping, then Loop and Returnly around returns, and then like your career has gone to more like post-purchase related platforms mm-hmm. that I think is kind of interesting. Like what um, with like maybe loop specifically, like what is, what, what would you say is like hard about doing returns or exchanges from like a building a platform perspective and like what, what, and what do you think like makes loop so special in that? Um, yeah. In that space. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a, I mean, it's a broad space, right? So think about like four big companies, right? You've got Loop and Returnly and Happy Returns and and Narbar are kind of like the four big ones. And by the way, there are some awesome, smaller guys who are coming up um yeah i like i don't know who's going to be the next big one type of thing right but um but there, there are a lot of people who are still trying to innovate in the space and i would just think about like the founding like the origin story of the four different companies mm. so the ceo of returnly is brilliant he is like a four-time i think fintech founder and returnly mm. is a fintech company right and it got sold to a fintech company like a firm and it does this wonderful like it, it, it came out with the innovation around like um, instant credit. So it would like validate if Yao's a trustworthy shopper, if he is, and like let him buy the second item before returning the first one. Now, like we and others have like taken that and built that in a different way, but for like I think three years, the job to be done is get the right product before returning the wrong one. It's like you you bought the medium, you want a large, you will get the large before you even put the medium in the middle. Loop also offers that. I'm sure other people do too, right? But like it was a fintech founding company. Narvar Amit, um, CEO, brilliant, was at, um, I think he was at Walmart. I'm sure he was elsewhere too. Yeah, but Apple, like, I believe too. Yeah, like understand supply chain, understands the the notification world. And it's like Narvar is a tracking company and notifications. And now they've added on returns. So it's like, it's coming at it from a different place, right? It's like more about the notification, less about the like return exchanges experience. And you can see that in their product and what they have and what they lack. You look at happy returns like David, and I, I'm like on the other co-founder's name, but like, you know, had like sold a company to Nordstrom, like again, brilliant in e-commerce, brilliant in customer service and logistics and built a logistics company. And Happy Returns also is a software product, but like Loop partners with them because our customers want to use our software, but they still want access to the Happy Returns return bars. For example, like most of our biggest customers are actually using both of us. Even though they could yeah. use free Happy Return software, they choose to pay us as like a, a premium product because we are like, we create so much value, but they create so much value on the logistics side. And then you look at Loop, and like the Loop founding stories, Loop was spun out of Chubby's. And like the first three customers were Chubby's, Alders, and Cotopaxi. And so like Loop was founded by a team of operators plus Shopify agency owners. And like, well, you know, the team at the Shopify plus agency. And so like, if you think about it, like 
I think the DNA of the company is like, is actually understanding the customer. It's not coming and saying like, Hey, we're a FinTech company or we're a logistics company or we're a tracking company. It's saying like, we're a supporting brands company. What are the biggest issues? And so like issue number one was like, somebody would email four times for an exchange. How do we just make it so that it's self-serve and at 2 a.m. you can do it on your phone? Cool. Issue number two is we paid a lot to acquire this customer. How do we make sure that she can um, stick around as a customer, right? Like Mariah, we were talking about before. So it's like you added the bonus credit and shop now, which is like the second innovation from Loop. Mm-hmm. And if you think about like what we built, it is building things that people want. It's not building things that come from our brains of like, oh, we are logistics people. So we see the world this way or we're yeah. tracking people. So we see it this way. And so like you see what we're doing now is we are not agnostic. I would say like we have a very strong opinion, but we are building a ton of logistics partners to help our our clients get much more profitable. And like to like we are big enough that every every logistics company wants to work with us so we can negotiate better rates for our customers and we can help them with routing to a refurbishment place to get it back on shelves as quickly as possible, as cheaply as possible to then resell through Arrive or Recurate, like I mentioned, right? Like um, I think that's, it's more of a DNA thing, I think for the company is like, what problems are you trying to solve? And for us, it's always been about like, how do we help brands grow? And for three years, it was how do we help brands grow extremely quickly? And now it's about how do we help brands grow sustainably? And so like mm. all those learnings from before are still useful. And then you yeah. add on the scale that we have and therefore like the negotiation ability that we have with all logistics providers and you kind of blend those. And I think that's where we kind of shine. Uh, that's great. I like, I love that. I love that perspective around like who was who the founder of the founding story? Like it, it obviously influences the, the way in which that company views the world and how they build products. And like, I think it's such a, that's such a, um, beautiful way to like yeah. look at those differences and, and like I mean, why it's you like it. a simplified version but i would think more like who are the first like 20 or 30 people right or the first 10 yeah people yeah people sure yeah, yeah, reporting, yeah. Re- yep. recruiting the next it's like i actually think because of i i wouldn't say that that story works necessarily everywhere but in this industry it almost for sure does if you look at the products of how they've been built in the perspective mm-hmm. and again there's no judgment there it's not good or bad yeah it's just different you can see the difference yeah yep and the, yeah, and the merchant has the has the choice to figure out what is the most. They know what the right thing. choice is, but <laughs> <laughs> sometimes sometimes they make they mistakes. Sometimes they make <laughs> We're all human. <laughs> we'll, we'll all come back. We'll all come back. We'll see them twelve months from now. No, it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! No, that's great. Like I, I think it's super important to. Um, take all those learnings in and I know we're coming up on time so we can if we if either of you have any closing remarks um, feel free to share those but this has been so fun Aaron just to get to learn and chat I know you and Yao do this like all the time but to um, kind of be on a fly kind of be a fly on the wall and um, get to pose some questions has questions has been fun so thank yeah, you this has been great Thank you. I don't. I don't think I have any insightful closing remarks. Buy, buy Malomo. <laughs> buy early. Buy often. Is that good? <laughs> That's great. That's great. Uh, You'll you get your payment well later. Join. Yeah. <laughs> uh, give, me, give me twenty bucks. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> I can manage that. No. <laughs> uh, awesome. Yeah. Thank you, Aaron, so much. Yeah. Thanks, Ian. This, this is, really this fun. is a lot of fun. Yeah. Bye. Right. Bye. Cheers. I'll see you.